Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. Hi, this is Jim Thompson with PCA's One-on-One podcast, and I'm very excited today to be interviewing Lisa Mitzel, who is a uh, championship athlete and uh, author of two incredible books. One, uh, the most recent one, I like so much, I wrote a, a blurb for it. Uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa was a member of the University of Utah's national championship gymnastic teams. And Lisa, I would like to start out um, asking you to, to share the story you told with me before about when you went on your recruiting trip as a high school kid to the University of Utah. You weren't necessarily going to go there, um, and what the uh, uh, what the the gymnast there said to you. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, what what happened is. Um, I was looking at my options for college, and Utah was very successful. Uh, they were the current reigning national champions when I was being recruited, but I, I'm a California girl, <laughs> so I wasn't thinking about living in the snow. But, yeah, I went on a recruiting trip, and uh, it really was the people that I was drawn to and felt inspired by, and largely that was um, the team, the, the women on the gymnastics team. And uh, they were very warm and welcoming and excited about doing gymnastics. Uh, they were excited about training hard and, um, and making it fun. And that was unusual for club gymnastics or you know, youth gymnastics um, at a high level. Uh, because it was much more serious. And um, and then we had um, a moment where there was a coach, uh, the coach Greg Marsden uh, at the time, uh, he was the coach for 40 years and won 10 national championships. I was on four of those NCAA national championships. He did something that was so unusual for that time, this is back in the 80s, uh, where he had the team sit down and he started asking them questions about their thoughts and feelings, which was unheard of. (laughs) You just didn't have coaches asking you, how do you feel about competing? How do you feel about sitting on the bench? Um, And then there were a couple girls that were planning on retiring early, and that was an open conversation and how people felt sad or nervous or, and it was just unusual. And it it made me realize that this was an environment, this was a program that truly cared about the whole person. Yeah, it sounds like Coach Marsden was way ahead of his time. Uh, we did yeah. uh, an event with Dave Esker, who is the Stanford bas- uh, baseball coach. He played baseball at Stanford, was assistant coach, then went to Cal for many years and just came back to, to Stanford. And and one of the things he talked about, the importance of, of uh, there being a connection between um, athletes on a team. And so one of the things he does is he asks them to tell their story so that people can say, oh, um, you know, you like that kind of music, and I do too. So you make those kind of connections. It seems like Coach Marzen was just way ahead of his time there. The thing I was thinking about, though, was when maybe it was after the after you came there in the first day of practice, and you were telling me about the 
the the uh, returning players talking about how uh, they won the championship and they were going to win it again. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I entered my, as a freshman, and, um, you know, you have to earn respect and you have to earn the trust. And and I was very eager and hungry. And after, I think it was after about two weeks of uh, the first initial practices in the fall, and we were doing two a days. So it was very strenuous. We were, my muscles were shaking and, <laughs> um, icing every day. Anyway, at the, at the end of that two weeks, the team captain gathered us together and we had a small team in numbers. Um, they had lost two or three to graduation plus a couple of retired early. So, um, they had won two national championships at that point. They were back-to-back champions. And the juniors were the captains. We had no seniors. And they looked at us freshmen. It was myself and one other girl. And they said, pointedly, we've won nationals the last two years, and we're going to win every year we're on this team. So you're either with us or you're not. And it... <laughs> Half of me was kind of, you know, scared, like, oh, my gosh, that's a lot of pressure. But the other part of me, I was thrilled. I was so excited that they were determined and focused and that they had that great desire because I I like winning. <laughs> yeah. So it really you know, Lisa, your team. You're, you're um, well, I, you know, the, the idea that you have to be kind of uh, – very serious and not very friendly if you're going to try to win. And, uh, you know, at Positive Coach Lines, we just don't don't believe that. Serious and uh, effort and, and enjoyment go hand in hand. And I, I love yeah. that. They're warm and welcoming and serious about winning. You can do both. Yeah. But I want, to, I want to talk about your books. The first book was called Focused and on Fire and really was about helping athletes, I think, become their best as performers. Uh, your most recent book called Focused and Inspired, Keeping mm-hmm. Our Athletes Safe in a Win-at-All-Costs World. Um, yeah. Safety is especially, you know, in the world of gymnastics, but it's it's really across the board. Safety tends to get second billing when you're so focused on winning. you want to say anything about that? Yes. Well, um, you know, as we're talking it flashes back, like, how did I get here to this mission of coaching athletes and speaking on mental training um, in order for athletes to be in tune with themselves, in order for them to learn to be calm? Um, That was initially from when I was 15 years old, and then also through college, I worked intensely with uh, sports psychologists. And it completely helped me overcome uh, acute fears and psychological blocks. Um, So I knew that that worked. I had a lot of success uh, using and applying those mental skills. And so I feel very humbled and honored that I can share that. And then what brought me to the specifics of safety, uh, I would say slowly and gradually through my years as a parent, And then also as a coach, 
I've realized that not everybody is brought up with the same values or awareness, let's say, awareness of what types of words can be hurtful or impactful. Uh, Certainly, we're shooting for positive impact. And and so your first book, I think, was Positive Coaching, right? That's right. Yeah, and I read that uh, over and over and over. <laughs> I, I had I had underlined and drew stars, and I, you know I marked up that book. I still have it um, in the '90s, and I I knew that your approach back then, because then I was having children, was really really a foundation for how we want to work with young athletes. And and then over the years, uh, I coached at Stanford University, and uh, I took the team to ninth in the country. And I really, I was a young coach. I was in my late 20s, early 30s um, at Stanford University. But I I was kind of absorbing like a sponge. I was soaking up the the wisdom from other coaches, legends like a Bill Walsh you know, football legend, and then um, Dick Gould, tennis legend, Skip Kenny, Richard Quick, you know, all these coaches, we'd have these monthly department meetings, and I was just inspired by how they truly wanted to connect with their athletes. With the, it was, I call it the human connection, and uh, which, you know, it makes perfect sense. In order to keep athletes safe, we need to be connected with these young people and not push so hard that they become resistant, that they are trying to protect or guard or just endure. And so it needs to be a balance. And I was really, really lucky to be at Stanford, and I continue to coach athletes and speak and do seminars. And the safety issue is just very important. You know, you uh, you say that um, right very early in the book, athletes are vulnerable. Athletes do not want to look weak. Um, and I was re- re- thinking about Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code. Oh, he talks yeah. about he talks about the three elements that he discovered for great team cultures, and uh, one of them is purpose. Um, I'm forgetting the second one, but the third one was vulnerability, safety. Safety was the second one, safety Mm -hmm. and then vulnerability. And um, the idea that we don't want to look weak, um, Mm -hmm. but it's when we allow ourselves to look weak and expose our vulnerability, he says that's what really makes uh, a team culture go. Yes, well, again, it's it's what I said just a moment ago was about human connection. Let's put in another word, authentic human connection. So when uh, a coach can even share some story about their childhood or when they were an athlete and struggled, anything that is true and authentic where they can relate or let's say the athletes can relate to them, they're like, oh, wow, you struggled too. That uh, can be a vulnerable moment, or at least exposing a vulnerable moment, and allowing, you know, the adult coach and the young athletes to then be able to see each other in a way that they share things in common, they share feelings in, in common, and 
that to me is essential. And, and there's other ways to facilitate that. Uh, but for the athletes and, and the coaches to have that authentic human connection directly relates to their ability to feel free, to feel more bold and like themselves. It builds their self-esteem. I'm reading a book right now, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, um, which is, again, another uh, intricate part of an athlete having the confidence to be able to go out and perform under pressure. You know, you have a quote that I just love. You say, feeling powerful is everything. <clears throat> you uh, <laughs> talk about that, and how do you help athletes feel powerful? Well, I think that you're so funny because that section in the book, uh, Focused and Inspired, um, which is just coming out this week, um, and uh, I was watching the 2018 NCAA Women's Gymnastics Championships, the Nationals, and uh, UCLA, I tell this story in the book, um, they come from behind in the very last event, which is balance beam, which everybody knows is kind of that scary, very difficult event. And... Um, and they have to all stay on, of course, and not fall. <laughs> and not only that, but they have to average, like, some incredibly high score. It's like a, a 9925, which, which is almost unreal. It's, that's, but they ended up doing that because of the joy that they felt and expressed, and they were not focused on results. And this has been nurtured through their head coach, through their program for years, is to go out there and put on a show and to love with incredible passion what you are doing and what you are feeling and your connection with your teammates and getting to be out there, you know, with the crowd, that it is a joyful experience. And to me, that is power. That is, that is the greatest inner power is to have no hesitation, um, to not have uh, any concern about judgment or criticism, not worried about what your coach is going to say afterwards because you have the permission, so to speak, to just be yourself. And it's, it is an amazing sense of inner power when you can do that and be free and have that much fun. And then they overcame you know, Oklahoma and won. It was just, I got goosebumps. <laughs> you know, I, I in my first book that you mentioned, Positive Coaching, many years ago, I talked about the loose freedom of the underdog. And mm. uh, sometime after that, I, I ran across a quote that was attributed to the Buddha, uh, which is, all suffering comes from expectations. That mm. if we're, our expectations are oh, my God, I've got to win, I've got to win. Um, that, uh, I think the term in, in psychology is threat rigidity. Like we, 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 um, we tighten up, and then, of course, we don't perform as well as we otherwise could, and so we typically don't win as much as we otherwise would. Right. Well, I was wondering about um, transforming these young people and your your book transforming high school and youth sports um what is the main thing that you t 
talk about, because I have not gone through that book, and I'm wondering, are we, you know, because I, I talk a lot about transformation, and I talk about, you know, the the power of uh, vulnerability and connecting with yep. these athletes, and I think that those are some of the basics um, of being able to transform. But I'm wondering about how you talk about that in your book, and because sure. PCA has so many wonderful values and lessons. Well, thank you for for saying that. Yeah, the book you're talking about is elevating your game, becoming a triple impact competitor. Yeah. And a triple impact yeah. competitor is someone who elevates himself, elevates her teammates, elevates the game and the larger community by um, by the way they handle themselves, the way they compete. And we talk about triple impact competitors as uh, people who are elevators, elevator with an ER, it's a new word for a new identity, people who are constantly looking around and trying to make things better. And I'll share a theory I, I have with you. I haven't seen it. Mentioned anywhere else, but when um, did you happen to see Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams uh, in the finals of the U.S. Open? Yeah, I wasn't able to watch the match, but I read about it. So I I watched it from beginning to end, and in the second set, uh, Naomi won and went up uh, 4-3, and then... um, Serena was assessed a penalty, so now she's behind 3-5. And then Naomi lost four very quick points to make it 5-4. And then Naomi won the next next game to to win the match. And I wondered, again, it was very subtle if it happened, and maybe I'm imagining it, but... Naomi won the set before that very decidedly and the set after I mean the game before that very decidedly and the game after it very decidedly and that one game it was almost like she was giving it back to Serena because Serena had been penalized. Um sure. that's my that's my theory. I don't know if it's true, but you know, you sometimes <laughs> see in a soccer match where when the the team that gets the ball out of bounds and they're aware that the official made a bad call they will throw the ball into the other team to make up for that for that call. Mm. And so, so the idea here is that how do we create better athletes, better people? And what the I think the key is is identity. Identity is the the uh, cornerstone of character. So if we can get kids to think of themselves, to aspire to be elevators, every situation in I want to try to make it better. They will then try to live up to that. So that's that's really – and you mentioned earlier the idea of um, being a sponge. And we talk about – we explicitly talk about being a sponge. We talk about having a teachable spirit that you want to learn as much as you can to be the best person and the best athlete you can be. So th- thanks for giving me a chance to uh, spout off about uh, identity and, and uh, being an elevator. Yeah, well, I love the elevator with the ER. I think that that is – kind of a cool thing for a young person to think, hmm, I am elevating other people around me by my actions, by my words. And to me, that goes hand in hand with the values. If we are teaching, you know, wonderful personal values to these young kids, 
uh, teenagers, even the college kids, because I know I was still being shaped and molded in college, um, to oh, yeah. be to be open, you know, to to want to uh, help others, be a role model, even in the smallest ways. That that's being an elevator. I love that. So um, I want to I want to push back on one of your ideas. Um, in in your most recent book, you you talk about uh, this being a deep thinking project. And when you, when you work with athletes, you say we want to be deep, a deep deep thinking athletes. Um, Ted Sizer, who was the dean of the education school at Harvard and at Brown, and started the coalition of essential schools. Um, when I was uh, director of the public management program at the Stanford Business School, I had him come and speak several times. And one time he said to me, or he actually said to the group of students, he said, show me a quarterback that thinks, and I'll show you a losing team. So, so you want me to respond get, to that? <laughs> we, could get, we could get so deeply into thinking things that we don't respond. Yeah, uh, what, do, what do you make yeah. of what he said? Well, I completely understand that from, and what I'm guessing he's referring to is in the moment of a decision in the middle of a play. And at that point, uh, there shouldn't be any second guessing. You know, it's you've practiced everything. Um, I mean, I've read Bill Walsh's books, and and uh, he says, prepare how does he say it? Um, prepare for everything, and you're you're ready for anything, or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. You exhaust all possibilities. Um, like for instance, when um, I was watching Michael Phelps, this is a couple years ago, a video that he had done. He narrated it, and they had some shots of him. It was just like a short two three minute video, and uh, he was talking about his mental training and how he prepared deeply. And so to me, this relates to the thinking part, is that when there's the physical preparation <clears throat> that you want to think about, how do you prepare yourself to perform, that put your arm out just exactly so, so throw the ball exactly that distance. You know, you're going to prepare yourself mentally to perform physically. But the other side of thinking deeply is who am I as a person, definitely related to the triple impact player. How do I connect with and elevate others around me? Um, those are the types of character-building type aspects and building their own self-esteem that I think uh, takes a lot of who am I as a person. That's self-identifying, becoming self-aware. Um, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Um, so that's... <clears throat> That's more the human side of being an athlete. And then the performer, uh, yeah, I don't think you want to second guess in a moment and think too much or overthink it. Yep. Um, I think you need to have done all the physical and mental preparation so that you can just respond to the situation at hand. Um, in gymnastics, we don't have a player coming at us and tackling us on the balance beam. <laughs> so, so everything um, is different in terms of um, timing, expectations. I mean, you're at a, maybe you're at a different gym. The equipment is different. Maybe you're competing against um, 
bigger talent and so the pressure is on or maybe there's TV cameras and now it feels even like more pressure. So there's different things that can distract you. But overall, um, a, an athlete in any sport, as long as they have done all their preparation in advance, I, I, I agree, you don't want to overthink it at all. Yeah. You know, you uh, another phrase you say that I really love is sports is messy. <clears throat> um, mm. John Gardner, uh, who created the uh, White House Fellow Program and uh, Common Cause, um, got to know him very well when he was at Stanford, really a mentor of mine. And, and he talks about uh, leadership, uh, the world being messy. And it'd be great if we had all the information we need. Um, I think that sports being messy is really cool because life is messy. And mm-hmm. you know, we talk about sports being a dress rehearsal for life. So if you, if you, go into a sporting contest and you realize, oh, my God, this isn't working. I did all this preparation and it's not working the way I thought it was going to work. And I've got to dig down and, and rely on, um, you know, what I can come up with there. That's that's great because life is so much like that. Any any comments on this concept of do, – do you, do you talk to your athletes about sports being messy on a regular basis? You know, it's funny. I don't think I – I think that that phrase probably, and this is a guess, resonates more with adults. Um, with with the young people, they think what I get from them in all my mental training clinics, what I uh, you know used uh, as fuel for my curriculum in my book, uh, focused and on fire, which is all about mental training. Uh, is that athletes think in terms of feeling anxious, nervous. Um, so the word messy, I'm not sure that's a typical word for them to refer to. Um, you know, they get injured, they have setbacks, they feel rejected, uh, excluded, judged. You know, so these are all kind of the words and the thoughts that they're having. Um, but the whole concept is the same. I mean, all of those feelings and issues is messy. It's it's not pretty. <laughs> and yeah. what I what I teach them is that these are the quote unquote struggles that are part of sports. Okay? So when you're an athlete, you're probably going to get hurt, whether that is, a, you know, a, a shin splints or a tweaked ankle or, you know, there there's a bazillion injuries, right? Um and so it's embracing the struggle and saying, okay, this is part of it. I'm going to be proactive in healing. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to visualize, and I'm going to write down my goals. I'm going to go and support my teammates. I'm going to work extra hard on my homework. Um, I'm going to be a good role model for how to get back in the game, how to get myself healthy and strong, healthier and stronger than before. And it's a t- completely different mindset than, oh, I'm out. Oh, I can't play. Oh, my teammates are getting better than me. You know, it, it's a completely different mindset. And so when we think about sports being messy and having all of these struggles, it's teaching the athletes and even the coaches and parents is that let's, you know, if you're going to feel bummed out or disappointed, I understand that's a human reaction. That's an emotion that's very real. But you know, think about it for five minutes, maybe an hour, and then let's shift into being 
positive yeah. thinking, you know what, we can handle this, and this is part of sports, and, and I'm a strong person, and look what all these other things. Athletes want tasks. In general, we're very um, goal-oriented. We're task-oriented. We want to do repetitions. We want to run around. So it's go, go, go. So when you're injured, all of a sudden you feel like you're just sitting, and it feels like you're not making progress. So that is part of the messy side is, okay, so now how, how are we going to embrace this and utilize this time to actually prepare to be better when I get back? And yeah. that is the more intellectual side. It is a, a more of a, a place that we don't train our coaches in general of how to handle that in a positive way. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. I remember uh, in a leadership seminar many, many years ago, uh, when I was uh, head of the conservation energy conservation program for the Oregon Department of Energy, and they showed the the presenter showed a, a cartoon of a of an executive with his feet up on the desk, and he said, "What you know? Write down what you think this person is doing." And everybody was like, you know, daydreaming, lazy, you know. And then his point was that, well, maybe he's thinking, <laughs> you know, maybe he's, he's actually <laughs> planning, and it really was a good. Uh, um, you know, the one of the one of the tools that uh, we talk about, and it's in elevating your game, is catastrophization. You mentioned visualization, and there's visualization of you know visualizing yourself uh, performing perfectly, um, and catast- catastrophization is is kind of what it sounds like. It's you're you're in a catastrophe. So uh, when I was coaching high school girls basketball, I would have my players. Uh, visualized the start of the game and the other team got the tip and they went down and scored and then they stole the ball out of bounds and they scored again and you know it's like 30 seconds in and we're down by six points um but you keep visualizing and you keep you see yourself getting your game face on and not letting not letting the bad the messiness uh stop you and then and then you see yourself visualizing beyond, so, and so coming back and and uh, being being successful. So that I really do like, and you may be right; it's more uh, adults than kids, but I really do like that messiness metaphor. Yeah, I want to. Well, w- go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to go to another well, subject. If you want to say something, go ahead. I, I was just going to touch back on the Michael Phelps. So he, in that video I was referring to, Michael Phelps, uh, you know, one of the greatest swimmers of our time. He uh, was visualizing himself do his perfect swim, just like you said, and then similar to your girl's team, he would visualize something going wrong, something being amiss. For instance, his goggles getting loose and filling up with water. His suit would get torn, and all of a sudden he could feel the looseness. And usually they wear two suits, so, you know, they're still... (laughs) A suit on, and then he would imagine a lane line all of a sudden drifting into his lane, and these are things that aren't realistically happen, um, and yet in all of these instances in his mind, he would still swim his fastest race. Yep. So he was so focused and so capable in his mind to be able to manage any mistake, any flaw, any distraction, that he just almost became more fierce. And I just admire that so much because 
mistakes are going to happen. And uh, I think that we need to inspire our athletes, and this is what I talk about in my new book, Focused and Inspired, is how to handle you know, the, the, the struggles, the difficult moments, the distracting moments, how it, yeah. it can be actually very inspiring to do that instead of, oh, no, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, Ken Revisa, who is a sports psychologist at uh, Cal State Fullerton, uh, unfortunately died recently. He, he was working with the Cubs and helped them uh, win the World Series a few years ago. Um, and he told me once about his work with the UCLA baseball team and the attitude that they had that if there was a bad call by the official, the players in the dugout would would go to the dugout edge and shout out, we don't need that call. We can win anyway. <laughs> that's kind of what Michael Phelps is like. Whatever goes wrong, it's okay. I can win no matter what. I can, well, I can perform my best anyway. Right, right. I can climb any mountain. <laughs> I want yes, to. I want to go to the dark. I want to go to the dark ahead. side for a little bit because right. the you know the subtitle is about keeping athletes safe, and it used to be that uh, you know um, predators who who are seeking young young uh, individuals uh, they go where the kids are, and where the kids are now is sports and. And you talk about grooming, the idea that a a, um, a coach or uh, you know a you know advisor or whatever um, does things to ingratiate himself or herself with athletes, so that uh, that person can uh, be in a position of power at the appropriate time to abuse those kids. And mm-hmm. I feel I feel like you know. Positive coaching lines, we're always thinking about the positive part of it, but it's absolutely crucial that youth sports leaders, parents, coaches um, watch out for grooming, watch out for predators, and not be afraid of um, being uncomfortable or being embarrassed to, to raise it. Can you say a little bit about how you help athletes and coaches protect protect kids from predators? Yes, well, there's um, there's more information out there in the world today than there was, you know, five, ten years ago, especially 20 or 30 years ago, uh, about what grooming is and uh, how even a person in the, let's say, inner circle of your team uh, could be a parent, could be... Um, a coach could be it could be anybody it could be male or female it could be anybody that is grooming and um, and so what my approach is uh, is that we need to teach and demonstrate emotional intelligence and emotional awareness because what happens and I many many Adults and kids have described these situations to me. I've experienced some of these situations where you start to, you're in a conversation uh, or a coach, you know, puts their arm around you, maybe touches you a little bit low on your waist uh, or gives you something, says, yeah, I thought you would need this. And it it just seems surprising. There's these moments where something happens and it feels, first of all, surprising and you go on alert and it's uncomfortable 
And I think that because athletes, especially anybody who's driven, uh, if you're on club teams, if you have goals to, you know, advance, maybe even play in college someday, uh, these types of personalities or these athletes who are driven, they have the mindset that they need to ignore things that are uncomfortable. They're supposed yeah. to ignore that their ankle is sore. They're supposed to ignore that somebody just called them lazy uh, or, you know, why do you have to do that? You're such a show-off. They're supposed to ignore that they feel the pressure when another basketball team, the opposing team, walks in and they're all a foot taller. You're supposed to ignore when, you know, there's just because they're supposed to be tough. And you mentioned that at the beginning about uh, not being weak. I say that uh, in my book is that athletes do not want to be called or judged as weak. And so this directly ties in to the whole safety issue in terms of being in tune with your thoughts and emotions. And so when there's a predator, when there is somebody who is grooming you, that's your first sign of being alert that something could be wrong, is that you start to feel uncomfortable, nervous, scared. And the other thing is that when they do things that seem a little secretive, um, if if you are listening to anything in the media, about some of these abused athletes uh, this year is that uh, they were given gifts of food or different things, and it was secretive. And uh, everything should be transparent. Everything should be open. Uh, It's when something is a secret, that is a sure sign of something that is not of the highest integrity. Yeah, well put. Um, Positive Coach Alliance, we have a partnership with Kid Power. Uh, Irene van der Zande um, created this organization 20-some years ago, and she said a couple of things that reinforce what you just said. It's like no secrets, and safety is first. Safety is more important than your discomfort. Uh, you know, if you're concerned that, um, you know, a coach is – uh, treating your kid in a way you're not comfortable with, but you feel like, oh, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about it. No, your job is to protect that kid. So, um, Lisa, this has been fantastic. Um, one last question, one I really want to hear your answer to. <clears throat> How do you motivate yourself when things are not going well? Oh, that's a, that is a very good question. Um, you know, I I... I think the first thing I do when I'm feeling less than motivated is I check in with myself and is something worrying me? Um, do I need some a connection with somebody, talk to a family member, a friend? Maybe I just need some peaceful time because usually when I'm not motivated, it's because I've been stressed and I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed. And I know that as an athlete and as a coach, which I've been both at the highest levels, um, we absolutely push ourselves too hard. And we don't learn in sports, we don't learn how to have a balance. That's not what coaches in general are teaching you and pushing you to do. They're pushing you to perform. They're teaching you technique and strategies. But they're not talking about your health and wellness, how to balance yourself. So when I'm not motivated, I know that I need to balance myself. 
Um, I go for walks. Uh, I live by the beach, and that is my spiritual place. Um, Sometimes uh, getting certain tasks out of the way so that then I can be creative. Um, But mostly I think it's really nurturing my spirit and taking care of myself uh, that helps me. It kind of clears my, or the clutter, and then allows me the space to be creative and feel that energy come back again. Um, Another thing is I'm reading right now uh, The Ethics of Sports Coaching. This was published in 2010, and it is fascinating. And so all of this, uh, these topics about emotional intelligence and self-awareness and being an elevator and, you know, building self-esteem, all of these things really tie into, you know, what are the morals and ethics that we use as standards for coaching and guiding these athletes. And so just reading about this is motivating me. (laughs) So reading can be very motivating. Yeah. It gets you out of um, it gets you out of your um, you know funk. Exactly. Um, yeah. What well, do you do, um, Jim? <laughs> well, you know, I I was thinking about I I I, I practice mindfulness meditation, so I meditate twice a day. But I was thinking about a book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. Um, mm. And one of her techniques is what she calls the morning pages. And morning pages, you write, and you write for three pages. And you don't edit. You don't say, oh, this is dumb. You just write. And I haven't done that for a while, but I'm going to start doing it again. Because what happens when you write, you, you realize, oh, man, this has, been, this has been weighing on my mind, and I wasn't even aware of it. You know, it, yeah. it, it kind of clears the deck. So, uh, but yeah, meditate, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you do mindfulness? Do you meditate? I do. I do, and and often it is um, out in nature, usually by the beach. Um, I take um, 20 minutes to an hour uh, where I'm walking, and then I go sit, and I do my deep breathing. Um, I Sometimes I am also in prayer. Um, most of all, it's just the feeling of the freedom of being outside and feeling the air and the, the blue sky and you know, smelling the ocean, salty air, and um, those things really do kind of put me in a much more peaceful place, uh, my environment, but also just being in tune with my breath. Um, That's one of the things that I've practiced since I was pretty young. Um, Yeah, the books that you're talking about and the, the teachers that you're talking about are so inspiring, and what I didn't say that I also always use is music. Music yeah, really yeah. does help motivate me. Um, and every once in a while, a film. Uh, I'm, I'm big into the arts. And I even go to the museums in San Francisco, <laughs> and those inspire me and motivate me. So I do a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. This has been a fabulous conversation. Let me uh, mention again the book, the most recent book, just coming out now. Uh, so those listening to this today are yeah, on the inside track, focused and inspired, keeping our athletes safe in a win-at-all-costs world. And Lisa Mitzel's previous book, Focused and on Fire, about the mental 
the mental uh, skills and techniques to, to do your best. Uh, Lisa, it's been just a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. It's, I'm honored, and uh, I'm so excited about all the wonderful people who support PCA and thrilled that we have all of our values and lessons aligned. And um, any way that I can continue to support PCA, I'm absolutely here. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.